Welcome to Impact Church's podcast with Pastor Travis Hearn. Pastor Travis also serves as the team pastor for the NBA's Phoenix Suns and has served Major League Baseball as the team chaplain for over a decade. Today, he leads us with a powerful and hope-filled message. We're so glad you're tuning in, and we believe that wherever you're listening from, that God will impact your life through today's message. Thank you for joining us today. If you said that prayer and accepted Jesus into your heart, it's the best decision you could ever make. We want to connect and celebrate with you. Visit impactchurch.com for more information about our church and how you can get plugged in here with us. Be sure to subscribe and share today's message with your friends. Thanks for tuning in, and we can't wait to hear how God has made an impact in your life. I was studying this theologian last week. His name is Kendrick Lamar, and I was like, man, you know what? I'm going to steal his song title, Sit Down, Be Humble. So say it again, Sit Down, Be Humble. We are talking about relationships, and we've been in this series, A Match Made in Heaven, for the last four weeks. Today is part four, and we've been talking about marriage and relationships and sex and being single and sex when you're married and no sex when you're single, and we've had so much fun. How many have been here for all four of them? You've heard all four... We've been starting every sermon with 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to do that again today. We're going to read the first, uh, well, not the first, we're going to read verses 4 through 8 in 1 Corinthians 13. It's called the love chapter. It teaches us everything we need to know about love, and you don't have to go looking at movies in Hollywood because they're just going to teach you about lust anyway, but this teaches us about Love. Look at somebody who came to churches and said, I love you. Come on, let them know. I love you. I love you. I love you. In Jesus' name. Okay, let's read this together. Starting in verse 4. Here we go. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Okay, let's start over. That was worse than the first service, and we've got to be better than them. It's a competition. Ready? Here we go. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil. It always protects. Love never fails. Aren't you glad that God's love never fails? I said, aren't you glad that God's love never fails? God's love never fails. I, I want you to look at verse four again, because there's, there, there's a part towards the end of verse four. It says, love does not boast and love is not proud. Let's say it out loud. Love does not boast and love is not proud. Okay, we're going to look at this because what God is saying is that love, true love, God's love, 1 Corinthians 13 love is humble. And the reason this is important is because a lot of relationships are suffering because there's pride in the relationship. A lot of marriages struggle because of pride in their marriages and pride destroys families, pride destroys marriages, it destroys relationships, it destroys teams, business teams, sports teams. It also destroys nations. I call it the pride divide. And Jesus talked about this in 
Matthew chapter 12. Let's look at the words of Jesus himself. He said, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. Every kingdom, every city, every house divided against itself will not stand. Now I want you to notice the word divided for a minute. Divided, right? It's divided. That's a lot of relationships. Some of you here, your relationship, it's, it's divided. And, and, and again, I call it the pride divide. Like pride is what is dividing us. And so Jesus says every kingdom, every nation, every city, every family, every house, every marriage, every, every family divided against itself, it will not stand. And so I want us to, one more verse before I open us in prayer, but in Proverbs 16, 18, Solomon said it like this. He said, pride goes before destruction, right? Pride goes before destruction. Another translation says pride goes before the fall, right? The fall. He says, but a haughty spirit before a fall. See, when pride takes root inside of a marriage or a relationship, it's like a weed that starves out the nutrients to that relationship and it starves out our connection. When, when we have pride, uh, communication dies, connection dies, intimacy dies. And so I want to look at what God's word says about humility in relationships. Before we do, would you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Father, thanks for your great word today. We're grateful for everything that you do in us and through us and for us. God, let this word just be a seed that takes root in our hearts today. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. We all say, let's give our worship team a round of applause as they always, always, always kill it for all of us. But I want to give you four keys today to tearing down the walls of pride in your relationship. Four keys, four things that we need to consider that if we implement these into our life, we can have relationships that are humble. Key number one, if you're ready, say I'm ready. Key number one is don't be a know-it-all. We should close in prayer, shouldn't we? Because that's enough right there. Don't be a know-it-all. A lot of your relationships are struggling because one of you or both of you is a know-it-all. You're a know-it-all. I'm looking at you all over the building right now, like elbowing your spouse and things like he's talking to you. He's talking to you. Don't be a know-it-all. A know-it-all. A know-it-all. Listen, you're not God's gift to humanity. You're not God's gift to anything. Let's be honest. You're not God's gift to relationships. You're not God's gift to marriage. You're not God's gift to family. You're not God's gift to communication or parenting or marriage. But you know, a lot of times we think we are, you're, you're actually not an expert in anything in any area of your life. Nobody is. Nobody is a true expert because there's always room for learning. There's always room for improvement. So be humble, be ready to learn, be ready to learn. You don't know everything. Proverbs 13. We're going to look at a bunch of Proverbs today. These are the words of King Solomon. And by the way, Proverbs, somebody say Proverbs is a book of wisdom. Solomon wrote four books of wisdom. Proverbs is one of them. There are 31 chapters. If you want to become more wise in your life, read the book of Proverbs 
12 times throughout the year. Read it in January, read it in February. You get the idea. Just keep recycling. It is a book of wisdom. And we're going to look at some of these words of wisdom today in Proverbs 13, 10. Solomon said, pride leads to arguments. He said, be humble, take advice and become wise. If you want to become wise, be humble. Don't be a know-it-all. Okay. You can take advice. Another Proverbs in chapter 28 of 26, he says, if you think you know it all, he says, you're a fool for sure. Some of you are fools for sure. Some of you see know-it-alls. You know what I think about know-it-alls? Know-it-alls are hard to be around. You ever notice that? And, and they're hard to be around because like they think they know everything better than you know. And it's for you, not even like a contest. But for them, they know everything. They already know it. They're they're not a joy to be around. They even know about your own personal experiences better than you do. I've got some friends that they're hard to be around because they, they think they know better than I do, even about my own personal story, my own personal journey, right? And this is the problem with a lot of marriages This is the problem with a lot of siblings. This is a problem in a lot of families is that we are know-it-alls. We act like we know everything. And the thing about know-it-alls is they're very critical. Very critical. Very critical. Know-it-alls are very judgy. They're always judging. Always judging. They're always making assumptions because they know it all. Right. You ever had a conversation with somebody and they just keep butting in and they're assuming like they're going to finish your sentence. Like they know what you're going to say before you even say it. I'm telling you in my own conversations, I don't even know what I'm going to say halfway through what I'm saying. There's no way y'all know what I'm going to say when I don't know what I'm going to say. Right. And so they're judgy. They're critical. They make assumptions. They are know-it-alls. They are also professional fault finders. Know-it-alls are actually deeply, deeply insecure and deeply insecure people are constantly looking at other people's problems and not at their own problems because it gives us a false sense of security for me to go, look what a mess you are. You're a disaster. Let's be honest. Right. And Jesus spoke about this. I want to read in Matthew seven, what Jesus said. He said in Matthew seven, verse one through four, he said, do not judge. Look at your neighbor and say, don't judge me, homie. Come on, tell them, don't judge me, homie. Do do not judge or you will be judged. For with the same judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Before we continue, this is important because in the Bible, there's something called the law of the harvest. The law of the harvest is you sow and you reap, right? You grow what you sow. You reap what you sow. Okay. Okay. It, it, this, this is, I always use this analogy of, of smiling. When you smile at people, almost hundred percent of the time they smile back. Almost always, except for a couple grumps, but almost always that's I'm sowing the seed of smile and I reap the seed of smile. If I'm mean to you, you're typically mean to me. Have you ever been driving too slow in the Scottsdale Air Park and somebody blows on their horn and they flip you off? What did you do? 
You smiled. Right, right. It's a Holy Ghost-filled brother right there. The rest of us flipped him off. And then we cut him off, and then they saw our Impact Church sticker on our car window. That's typically the way it goes. Because we're all sinners, saved by God's grace, in need of a Savior. But Jesus says, so he says, talking about reaping and so and so. If you're going to be judgy, you're going to be all this judgy. Guess what? You're going to get judgy back. This amount of judgy, right? If you're going to be critical about everybody else, you're going to be criticized back. If you don't like to be criticized, stop criticizing everybody else. If you don't like fingers pointed at you, stop pointing your fingers at everybody else. Because typically, the deeply insecure person that is always criticizing and judging everybody else, they're just avoiding their own flaw, right? So let's look at what Jesus says. Jesus goes on and he says, why do you look at the speck? Somebody say speck in your brother's eye, but you fail to notice the beam. Somebody say beam in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye while there's a beam in your own eye? It's like a miracle, really. Like, I can see past this big beam in my own eye. I don't even know it's there. But I can see this little speck in yours. Right? I, I got to, can you guys do me a favor and put up my eyes? I got some eyes up here. I don't know who this is, but he's got a very nice looking pair of eyes. They're brown. He's got something going on over there on that eye. A little speck. You see the speck? Say yes. He's got a speck. And, 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 and this is what we do. It's like, oh my gosh, look at what a disaster you are. You're, you got a speck, bro. You have a pride issue. You have a pride issue. You're arrogant. You have a lust problem. You have a gossip problem. You need to stop being so critical. You're a liar. The truth is not in you. You this and you that. And, and see, but what's crazy about this is what's crazy about it. Although that is perhaps true. There's a miracle happening because we're able to see right past. I got this plank. Here we go. And I built it where I can wear it. We got this plank in our own eye. Like, bro, you got us. Look at the speck in your eye. How dare you? You need to change your life, homie. You need to change. You're a total disaster. Oh, yeah, I'll get your phones out today, huh? I have no idea how to pose, so that's probably not going to turn out so great. And so this is what we do. This is, by the way, this right here is a perfect representation of most of our relationships. Most of our marriages, most of our friendships, most of us with our families. Oh, my brother is just this way and that way. And my sister is this way and that way. And my mother and my son and my child and my, and the whole time. This is why I say it's a miracle. Is this not a miracle? Like I can see past this big old plank in my eye. I don't even know it's there. I'm like, what? What do you mean? I have got nothing going on in my life. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost, sanctified, love Jesus, pretty close to flawless. But you, you, my friend, 
You gotta spend, and this is this is some of us. It's bad, but then there's there's other people. Trade me, trade me, trade me. There's others of you. See, you got more than one issue. You got way more than one issue. You know what I'm saying? You're like, look at the speck in his eye. Look at the speck. Look at the speck. Look at the speck. She's just a mess. She's a speck. She needs Jesus. We need to pray. And then what we do is we prayer gossip. Is anybody prayer gossip? No. Not this service. That was the last service. You prayer gossip. Prayer gossip is like this. Like, I, I just, will you pray for so-and-so? And then you gossip about them. And it's all in the name of prayer. It's still sin. It's still gossip. Right? It's still gossip. Just because you did it in prayer or covered yourself in prayer. I'm thinking about preaching the whole rest of the sermon like this. Except this one's kind of smashing my nose because it's kind of big, you know. Some of y'all got issues. Look at somebody and tell them, you got issues, not me. Come on, you tell them because that's what we're talking about. (laughs) You got issues, not me. And so, you know, we've got these planks. Jesus, hey, I call Jesus the Sermonator for a reason. The Sermonator. Because he could make these... Who could illustrate something and 2,000 years later, it just still kills us. It just still crushes us. It still convicts us and challenges us and encourages us. He's the sermonator. And, you know, it would be one thing if, you know, you had a little plank or you had a little bit bigger. But some of y'all, listen, some of y'all, that's not the end of it. Some of you got a plank so big in your eye. I had to have two of my homies help bring the plank out. I had to have, see, this is, this is way most of you are today is you're like, yeah, you got a speck in your eye home, boy. You got a speck in your eye home, girl. You need to get rid of that. You need to get rid of that. And we're so judgy. Can you guys lift this? I'm not that short. Thank you. There we go. It's hurting my back, bending it over. And so, hey. You guys, thank you guys. Give these guys a round of applause. It's a great illustration that Jesus made because he said, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you fail to notice the beam in your own eye? This is the spirit of the know-it-all. This is the spirit of I'm self-righteous. I've got my stuff together, but you don't have your stuff together. And all it does is damage relationships. All it does is ruin marriages. It's the pride divide. It ruins nations. It ruins countries. It ruins families. It's the pride divide. Listen, you remember that saying, anytime you're pointing a finger, you got three pointing back at you. Pay attention to the three that are pointing back at you and not the one that's pointing away from you. We got to lay down our pride. Let's look at number two. Key number two. If you're ready, say I'm ready. Admit when I'm wrong. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I just took it too far. I know. You're not always right. Do you know that you're wrong more than you're right? 14, 15, 16 of you knew that. You're wrong more than you're right. Uh, Another great quote from, from Solomon in Ecclesiastes, which is another book of wisdom. He says, there is no one on earth who does what is right all the time and never makes a mistake. Say, we're not always right. We need to admit that our wrongs are wrong, and and we don't really need to admit that our rights are right. If you're wrong, be humble. If you're right, be quiet. 
look at somebody you love and tell them right now, I was wrong. Go ahead, tell them. I, I, I didn't ask you guys to give a 30-minute dissertation. I just said this was wrong. I was wrong. I, I was I was wrong. You know why I made some you know why I made you do that is because for some of you that's the first time you've ever said those three words in your whole life. I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. It's so hard to swallow our pride, isn't it? I was wrong. See, the problem with a lot of our relationships is self-deceit. Self-deceit relationally, self-deceit situationally, because when I have self-deceit, I only see it my way. I see the argument my way. I see the relationship my way. I see the scenario and the situation my way. My self-righteousness has built up a wall of pride so high that I can't even see it your way. I can't see around the wall of ego in my life. And some of you, some of you are so self-righteous right now. Listen, some of you are so self-righteous right now that you're thinking in your mind, I'm so glad PT's preaching this today for my loved one that's here today. I hope they really hear this. But this message is not for them. It's for you. It's for you. It's for you. Don't deceive yourself. The message is for you. Your heart is deceived. And that's the problem with the human heart is that it gets easily deceived, easily deceived. Jeremiah said it like this in chapter 17, verse nine. He said, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The heart's deceitful. It is deceitful. And sometimes you think you want something and then you realize you didn't want that something. Have you ever done that in life? How many married that person? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Don't say yes. But the heart is deceitful. You're like, you know what? I think I want this. And then you get into it and you, man, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? I wasn't clearly thinking. The heart is deceitful. And so we have to pay attention to this concept of humility because our own heart can betray us. Our own heart can deceive us. Listen, I have a hard enough time trying to figure myself out than trying to figure you out. I have a hard enough time trying to do some self-reflection and figure out my own motives than to figure out your motives. If I can't figure out my own motives, there's no way I can figure out your motives. So he's saying... The heart is deceitful. It is not cured, not by the humans, but only by God. It's beyond cure. Who can understand it? You got to be humble. You don't know everything. You got to admit when you're wrong. It's not that hard to admit that you're wrong. It's not that hard. I admit when I'm wrong. I admit when I do somebody wrong. I admit when I've done something wrong. Admit when you're wrong. Let's look at another wisdom. In Proverbs 28, 13, Solomon says, a man who refreshes or refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But he, if he confesses and forsakes him, he gets another chance. Yo, this is good stuff. Okay, this is good stuff. A man who refuses, you going to deny it? I didn't do anything wrong. 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 He says, you'll never be successful. This is a lot of marriages. 
And a lot of marriages aren't successful because of the wall of pride. I, I can't say I'm sorry. I can't say I'm wrong. But love, love, God's love, true love, biblical love, it admits its wrongs. It admits its mistakes. Okay? Love, it can be taught. It can be corrected. It can be coached. Be teachable. Humility means I'm teachable. It doesn't matter how old we are. It doesn't matter if we're kids or adults. It doesn't matter if we're 20, if we're 90. We can still admit that we're wrong and that we still need some areas in our life that we need God to work on. Uh, Humble people, they are willing to admit, to acknowledge, and to apologize for their mistakes. See, prideful people, they can't apologize because, number one, they don't ever think they're wrong. And number two, their ego simply won't allow them to. Because I, I'm, I'm, I'm too insecure. I'm too insecure. We got to own our own junk. Own your own junk. Take responsibility. Think of it this way. Responsibility is your ability to respond in humility. I'll say it again. That responsibility is your ability to respond in humility. I take responsibility. And that's what love does. Love admits its wrongs. God blesses the humble. In fact, the word says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So love is humble. It admits it's wrong. It's coachable. It's teachable. Look what the word says here. Another Proverbs 15, 12. Conceited people don't like to be corrected. <laughs> they never ask for advice from those who are wiser. Proverbs fifteen thirty two. If you reject criticism, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, you grow in understanding. Now, I, I got some news for you. Newsflash, and this is some hard news for some of you to hear today. But usually, it's the closest people to you that have the best advice for you. But I don't want to listen to my wife because I don't want to hear it from her. You don't want to listen to your man because you want to hear it from him. But usually, the closest people to you, they know the most about you, and they have the best advice for you. If we would just lay down our defenses and listen, right? Like my wife is, she's the sweetest person on the planet. And she says things that are hard for me to hear sometimes in the nicest ways. I'm the opposite. I could be leaving the house and she'll be like, that, that outfit is very interesting. And I have a choice in that moment. No matter how nice and kindly she said it, it still didn't feel so great. So do you think she's just trying to tell me you look like a fool because you look like a fool? Or do you think she's trying to save me from going out into the world looking like a fool? And so sometimes I have to go, man, I will look back in the mirror and like, I mean, I kind of do look like a clown, but... That outfit's interesting. I would be like, yeah, that, thing, that outfit's terrible. Like, I'm, we're totally different. 
and, and how we are in our nature and in our communication styles. But sometimes the people closest to you who know the most about you have the best advice for you. It's why when you're having marriage problems and your wife has been trying to tell you something, she's been trying to just tell you something. She may not have said it the right way. She may not have, you know, articulated the way she should have. It didn't make you feel good. It hurt your feelings. It hurt your heart. But then you go to a counselor and they tell you the same thing. And you're like, oh, really? I did not know that. Because the closest people to you have the best advice for you. And if we could develop some thick spiritual skin and lay down our defenses. How many know we need to lay down our defenses in the world we live in today? Like lay down, like, 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 like put the defenses down because we're so easily offended about everything. Everything. Somebody in here is offended that I'm saying this right now. That's how bad it is. When I was a kid, my mama taught me that she really taught me thick skin and because of who she was. But if I had one phrase that sticks in my mind from my childhood, one phrase, it was like that was the phrase I remember the most. This is it. Suck it up. Does anybody raise their kids like that anymore today? Like, suck it up. Like, you know, like little Johnny got beat up at school. He comes home and then it's like, oh my gosh, let's go to the news. Everybody's so offended. Your boy got his butt whooped. Suck it up. You'll be all right. Like, it's okay. Right? I mean, everybody's so easily offended. See, offense, I said this last week, builds up a fence of pride in our relationships. This is important to understand the power of humility in our relationship. Okay. We need to listen. We need to be willing to admit that we are wrong. Key number three, write this down. Ask for advice and help. Ask for advice and help. Listen, if you want to bring the walls of pride down in your relationship, you need to learn to ask for help. You need to learn to ask other people for their opinions and their advice. We're all guilty of this, but I would say that men are probably the worst. Because we don't even ask for directions. (laughs) You know, it's like, I'll go in Home Depot and I will walk around for three hours before I'll ask somebody where the hammers are. And they have a worker at the door. Hey, how you doing? Welcome to Home Depot. How you doing? Just keep walking. I'm going to find them hammers somewhere. Three hours I just wasted of my life because I don't want to ask for direction. I don't want to ask for information. I'll I'll figure it out on my own. And so I, I think guys are the worst. My pride just cost me time in this store. I think that we think that asking for help is a sign of weakness when actually it's a sign of strength. It's the opposite. It's a sign of strength because it shows my humility and it shows my wisdom and needing to learn something from somebody besides myself. 
So I learned to ask for help. It shows my humility and my wisdom. Listen, let me tell you this. You got to decide in life whether you want to appear wise or whether you want to be wise. And wise people ask questions and they ask for help and they ask for advice. See, some of you are living still. You're still living. You're still bound by addiction because you're too prideful to admit it and to ask for help. And until you break down the walls of pride in your life, you're going to stay addicted until you learn to admit it and you learn to ask for help. See, the power of humility is what sets you free. Some of you have marriage problems. Man, you can't get, seem to get over your marriage problems. It's because you simply won't admit that you have them and you won't ask for help. You're too proud to ask for help. It's too much of a hit to your ego. Let me tell you something I've learned about my own life. I cannot do life on my own. God did not create me or you to do life on your own. God created us to need one another. That my strengths help your weaknesses and your weaknesses help my strengths, believe it or not. Because Paul said, when I am weak, then he is strong. So when I'm at my weakest moments... God can be at his strongest moments. See, where your strength ends is where God's strength begins. Where your strength ends is where God's strength begins. God will do for you what you can't, but not what you can. God will do the impossible in your life, but not the possible. So where you are weak, he is strong. We need each other. We need it. Listen, humility is the gateway to changing. Humility is the gateway to healing and wholeness. Humility is the gateway to forgiveness and being forgiven. If you haven't noticed already, we are in a divided nation. We have a pride divide in our nation. Our nation needs healing. It's not anything new. Our nation has needed healing. And it's not left versus the right. It's not race versus race. I'm going to tell you what it is. It is good versus evil. It is the devil versus God and humanity. And the devil wants to divide us. It's one of his greatest strategic weapons that he uses. If I can divide humanity that God created... I can destroy the humanity that God created. And so we get divided. And there's a reason there's a saying called divide and conquer. It's a war strategy. It was used in Babylon. It was used in Rome. It's a war strategy. If you divide the people, you make them weaker. And now we can conquer them. It's not just an American thing. It's been all over the planet. If you can divide the people, a million Rwandans murdered each other by machete in 100 days in 1994. They're all Africans. They're all Rwandans. But Belgium came in and decided citizenship was a great idea. Let's create two citizenships. Let's create the two uh, Hutus and the Tutsis. And let's give these guys all the power and these guys little power. What does that do? It's a divide. 
the two-party political system in the United States of America is a divide. Some of you are most, more sold out to your political party than you are to the Holy Ghost and to Jesus Christ and to the Word of God. See, I, I don't care about political parties. I don't care. Some of y'all sold out to this and that. Man, sell out to Jesus because Jesus wasn't about division. Jesus wasn't about politics. Jesus wasn't about political parties. Jesus was about unity. And he was about love. And he was about coming together. And that's why he said a house divided against itself will not stand. And if the devil can divide the devil, he will defeat us. He will defeat us. It's interesting because in America, I feel like over the last few years, when it comes to the political parties, that both sides just keep shouting louder and louder their opinions. Let me ask a question. What did that do for us? Did that bring us together? Did that change us? If you believe something over here and somebody over here just shouts their belief louder and louder and louder, it's not like you go, oh, yes, I must come over to that side. It doesn't happen like that. It's like when I first became a Christian and I was trying to figure out this whole Jesus thing. I was at end of my senior year in high school. And I remember these people standing as Christians standing on the street corner at a gas station with cardboard signs. And it would say, sinners don't go to heaven. Stop your sin. Let Jesus in. Another one said, drunkards don't go to heaven. Stop your sin. Let Jesus in. I was 17 and I asked my friend, I said, you know, what's interesting about that is I understand their heart is for the people, but their approach is against the people. Their hearts for the people and their approach is against the people. Can you imagine if you're an alcoholic, would you, would you pull over and be like, oh my gosh, you're so right. I'm so glad you had the cardboard sign today. Save me now. Like, no. If you're an alcoholic, you're like, what, what a bunch of jerks, man. What a bunch of fools, right? All it does is divide us. It divides us. That's what the devil does. He wants to divide us. Louder shouts, stronger language, demeaning words, uh, cynical people and, and, and sarcasm and the more it is. Listen, I, I, I don't know about you guys. I just, I just, I hope to set you free. I know we have to know some element of the news. I cannot watch the news. I cannot read it. I cannot view it because when I'm done, I feel sick and I feel down and I feel negative and I feel fearful and I feel like, man, I just need to focus on the goodness of God and what he actually says. Because I can tell you this, God's word is saying the opposite. It's saying the opposite of what the world's trying to tell us. And so we need to listen. There's only... One answer to heal our land. There's only one. And that is if we experience a true, powerful revival of the power of God in this nation and across this world. And we come to Jesus. I want to read you a scripture that you're probably familiar with. But it says this in 2 Chronicles 17, verse 14 and 7. I'm sorry. Verse 14. He says, if my, if my people. Somebody say if. If my people who are called by my name, that's us, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn. Somebody say turn from their wicked ways. I didn't ask you to say that part. That's cool too. Say whatever you want. 
Then I will hear from heaven. It's, it's always interesting. I said this a few weeks ago too, but in the word. Now, you have to forgive me because I do the Arizona Cardinals Bible studies twice every week. I do the Phoenix Suns chapels three or four times, however many games. Every home game, I do Phoenix Suns chapel. And then I'm, I'm preaching to you guys. Sometimes I say things to them that I think I said to you. And some things I, I said to you that I think I said to them. Sometimes I say things to you that I thought I said to them and I say it to you again. But if that's the case, the Lord knew you didn't hear it the first time. So you needed to hear it again. So, so in the Bible, there's always these promises that God gives us. This is a promise. This is a promise. In fact, there's over 7,000 promises in the Bible. 7,000 promises. But for every promise is a premise. And it's always, if you this, then I will this. If you this, then I will that. Like in Malachi, if you bring your whole tithe to me, if you give me 10% of your income, then I will throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on your life that you won't have enough room for it. See, a lot of you will never experience that kind of blessing and favor because there's an if. There's an if attached to it. If you this, then I will that. And that's what this is. He says, if, if, if you who are called by my name will humble yourselves, pray. You will seek the face of God, intimacy with God. You will turn from your wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now, now, now look at what he says. He says, humble yourself, pray, seek my face and turn from your wicked ways. See, this is talking about repentance and repentance is more than Words, isn't there a song, More Than Words, for those of you that grew up in the 90s? And he says, if you turn, this is about repentance. Repentance is more than words. It's not just lip service, it's life service. It's not just saying it, it's doing it. It's not just talking the talk, it's walking the walk. Repentance is... Yes, I admit I was wrong. Yep. But then I turn from it. And I don't go back to it. That's what true repentance is. I admit it. That was not right. That was not cool. Forgive me. And then I turn from it. If you don't turn, you don't have real repentance. I'm sorry if I keep doing it. I'm sorry if I keep doing it. See, a lot of people like saying they're sorry, but they're not sorry. They're not sorry. It's like for those of you that are, you know... You're in a close relationship. It could be your, your, your wife, your husband. It could be your fiance, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. It could be your sister, your brother. And you get into it. And then, you know, remember when you were kids and your mom would say, say you're sorry. And you were like, sorry. But you weren't sorry. Mama just made you say sorry. But there's nothing sorry in my heart. I'm sorry. Sorry. Right? We do that in our relationship. Sorry. You hurt my feelings. Sorry. Or we go, sorry, you fill in the blank. I'm sorry you feel that way. Have you ever tried that one? That goes over well, doesn't it? Well, I'm sorry you feel that way. It's it's really not my fault. It's yours. 
I'm sorry you felt that way. I didn't, I didn't mean that. I'm sorry you took it like, that's not an apology. That's a cop-out. Where are you guys going? You don't want to apologize. You're out. It's either a donut craving or got to go to the bathroom really bad. Or they don't like this part of the sermon. Sorry you feel that way. See, when my people help me preach my sermons, they're so much better. If my people, if my people. Let's move on. Key number four. This one's a little heavier. But if we want to bring down the walls of pride in our relationships, we need to continually show grace and forgiveness. Continually. Like over and over and over and over again. When I was uh, a new daddy of two children, now I have three, but when my babies were little babies, we decided we need a bigger car. And uh, I bought this used car off this gentleman who he had told me he had been married 60 years. And I was like, bro, that's the goal right there. I said, Give me a piece of advice. How do you stay married 60 plus years without hesitating? He said, short-term memory. (laughs) How do you know that's the truth, though? I mean, there's some truth to that. Short-term memory. Like, don't hold on to what just happened. Let that thing go. Short-term memory. And uh, it's scriptural because we just read at the beginning, 1 Corinthians 13, and it says, love keeps no record of wrongs. And I I think that was a verse for the women, to be honest. The Lord didn't tell me that. But because men can't keep records, that's for sure. Women have great, I mean, I said this, you know, don't write a bad Google review on me because I'm making generalizations. Generalizations are generally wrong, but sometimes they're right. And generally. And men don't have the best memories because they don't pay attention. Yeah. So, and my wife lives with this, like, on steroids. Because I have ADHD. My oldest daughter has ADHD. My son has ADHD. Does anybody, like, not, because I know people joke about, I got ADHD. No, I'm asking, like, if you have it, it's not really a joke. It's frustrating. But does anybody have it? Like you've been diagnosed. You've been, okay, there's quite a few of you. So if you have it, I want to speak to those that don't. And you love somebody that has it. And, and I just want you to know this, that I'm trying. I can't speak on their behalf. But, like, my wife will tell me something 38 times, and I still don't remember. See, my wife has this crazy supernatural ability to remember everything that's ever happened in the history of humanity. (laughs) And my thing is, I got two things going against me. I'm a male, so I don't pay attention anyway. And then I have ADHD, so I really don't pay attention anyway. And my wife has this crazy supernatural ability where... I can be talking to her, and so can my daughter, 
and so can my other daughter, and so can my son, and she could be on the phone with her mama, and she could be texting, and she heard every single word that all of us said at the same time. Is that incredible? I can't even do that with one person talking. Sometimes, like, my wife figured out early on in our marriage, you know, for you guys, your wife is talking to you, and you're looking at your phone. You hate that? Drives you crazy, doesn't it? Drives my wife crazy, too. And uh, what's interesting about that is if it's the opposite and your woman's looking at her phone and you're talking to her, she probably heard you. It's still not the most polite, but she probably heard you. For me, I didn't hear anything. If I'm watching TV and Natalie's like, hey, Travis, and I'll be like, okay. And she'll be like, you didn't hear me, did you? What'd I say? No, what? Tell me again. I didn't hear you. I'm glad you guys think it's funny because she didn't. But, but seriously, when it comes to forgiveness, when we've been wounded deep enough, we all remember that. When we've been hurt deep enough, we all remember that. And forgiveness doesn't mean that you'll forget it. God's forgiveness forgets it. Human forgiveness is not going to forget, but we can forgive. And when we truly forgive, that's when we experience God's freedom. Because holding on to hurts only hurts you worse than it hurts them. And holding on to hurts will make you bitter and resentful. And when you're bitter and resentful, you become poisoned by your own emotions of bitterness. And so you want to be free. How many want to be free? I want to be free. I want to walk in God's freedom. I want to be free. So he says, love keeps no record of wrongs. It's hard because you've been hurt. I've been hurt. By the way, hurt people hurt people. Broken people break people. That's why we hurt. Because we're all hurting. But somebody was rude to you. They said terrible things to you. They betrayed you. They rejected you. By the way, I think somebody needs to hear this today. You thought they rejected you? Nah. God protected you. God protected you. God was keeping you safe. Listen, God rescued you before you even knew that you needed rescued. That's how good God is to us. True love forgives. That's what Jesus modeled for us. True love forgives. In Luke chapter 23, it says, when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And then Jesus said, father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. I don't know about you. I don't know if I could do that. Like if you were God and you were the king and you had all the power and somebody was nailing you to a cross. I mean, I might let it go to a certain point, you know, and then like pop my hands out and then like shove the nails in their eyes and like, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I could do that. But Jesus did it for you. See, Jesus loves you so much that he sent his one and only son 
to die for you, to pay for the price of your sins. It's unconditional love. It's not about what you did. It's about what he did. It's not about what you will or won't do. It's about what he already did. He paid the price. He, he died for you. I think one day we'll be standing in heaven talking to people and be like, yo, tell me about your story on earth. Paul, I want to know. I want to know. I want to hear some of these stories first. I read them. You're my favorite person in the New Testament. I want to I hear firsthand some stories. You run up to somebody that's a stranger. You know what? Tell me about your story. How'd you get here? God's grace. I don't deserve to be here. I was one of the people that swung the hammer into the nail and crucified Christ. But he didn't hold it against me. That's forgiveness. That's forgiveness. And if you want a healthy relationship, you have to admit, acknowledge your wrongs, and we have to forgive. I don't know about you, but I want to be a great finisher in life. There's a lot of great starters. I have lots of friends. I have employees that are great starters. They don't finish nothing, but they're good starters. You're like, that was great for a minute. Would have been nice if you finished it. You know, we start things like uh, we read books. We start a book and don't finish it. There's some people that every January 1st, they start a new fitness program. And then by January 4th, it's over. It's over. But I want to be a good finisher. I want to be somebody that starts the race and finishes the race. In my marriage, in my church, as a friend, as a pastor, as a father. It's not about starting strong. It's about finishing strong. Some of you didn't have the best start. Listen, you can have a great finish. You can have a great finish. You can finish strong. And Jesus taught us how to finish. Would you bow your heads with me? And let's pray. Ephesians 4, it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Colossians 3.13, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. God, we come before you today, and Lord, we want a relationship that it is a match made in heaven. God, we know that those relationships take a lot of work. And so, God, we, we dedicate our lives to you again today. God, we thank you that we're learning to be humble and that you gave us a model of humility. In Philippians 2, it says that you humbled yourself to become a man. And not only that, but to die on the cross for your creation. God, teach us humility. God, teach us how to be humble, how to ask for help, how to ask for forgiveness, how to admit our wrongs. But God, also how to forgive so that we can be free. If you're here today and you've never taken a step to become a Christian, I I just want to invite you to do that right now. 
you just pray a prayer and say, Jesus, today I give you my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for mine. Thank you for unconditional love and giving me a fresh chance at life. God, we confess our sins to you. We admit that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And God, we're so grateful and thankful for everything that you do in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. We all say, Thank you for joining us today. If you said that prayer and accepted Jesus into your heart, it's the best decision you could ever make. We want to connect and celebrate with you. Visit impactchurch.com for more information about our church and how you can get plugged in here with us. Be sure to subscribe and share today's message with your friends. Thanks for tuning in and we can't wait to hear how God has made an impact in your life.